Thanks for listening to the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry, here to help educate, motivate, and put you on the right path to take control of your health through weekly discussions on topics in the medical field, public health arena, and in your community. And now your host, Dr. Barry. Hey everyone, Dr. Barry here. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about high blood pressure. More in particular, we're going to be talking about some recent new guidelines that came out that has changed the landscape of what it means to even have high blood pressure. In today's show, I have enlisted the help of a friend of mine, a great board certified practicing attorney, Dr. Watson Ducatel, uh, alumni of Nova Southeastern University, to kind of help me argue why I think these new guidelines are absolutely ridiculous and it's going to cause more harm than good in the long run. So like always, if you want to say show notes, head over to drpiersblog.com forward slash LLP 048. Go to drpiersblog.com, search podcast, and you'll find my most recent episode there as well. And I appreciate all of the guys' support. If you have not had a chance, go ahead and check out my last episode, episode 47, where I talked about affirmation and goal setting. It was greatly reviewed and a lot of great feedback from it. So again, if you have not checked that out, check episode 47, which is drpiersblog.com forward slash LLP 047. Again, I want to introduce an amazing guest, a family friend. Uh, he's been a friend since medical school, and he's the co-owner of Healthy Bodies Medical and Dental Center. For my podcast listeners, if this is your first episode or if you've been rocking with me, you know, since episode one, uh, please, you know, give a quick round of applause to Dr. Watson Ducatel. Hi, hello, everyone. All right. So, Dr. Duke, could tell, you know, I gave a little quick bio, but like, can you, you know, explain to the people who you are and, you know, how you got to kind of where you're at right now? Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Watson Duke, I'm an internist in Tampa, Florida, and I'm so happy to be here with you all today discussing a, a topic that is very important to all of us. And like Dr. P. Berry said earlier, um, we have been friends since medical school, and not only um, colleagues, but uh, family friends, and we like to get together to discuss these very important issues that affect our patients, our family members, and um, others out there in the community. So I, w- I want to kind of like let the people in, like what kind of like started like this this episode, right? So of course, we were we were having a discussion like we always have on the medical field. And very recently, some some new guidelines came out uh, about high blood pressure. And most importantly, they came out about uh, re-diagnosing high blood pressure and giving them different criteria. And we kind of went on like a rant, y'all. Like I'm telling you, it was, you know, we were, we were both pretty spirited discussion um, in, the, in, the, in the same direction, right? In which it usually happens because we're just kind of like kind of one like that. And... Uh, we both figured, like, you know what? Like, we got to talk about this on like a podcast on the on the podcast because, like, if we're feeling this way, there's no way others aren't feeling like that same ill. Like, is, would would you agree with that? Not to do good tell. I, I definitely would agree with that. Um, 
every time you have a major guideline, we know that there's going to be some controversy. There's going to be people on, on both sides and in between. But there comes a point when, um, you know, the guideline um, not only becomes controversial among us physicians, but then become controversial among patients. And this particular guideline um, produced by the AHA and the ACC definitely has had a significant impact on the perception or the attitudes and concerns from a patient's perspective. And I really didn't see this with the previous guidelines, particularly JNC8 and, and JNC7, which were the previous bodies who submitted um, or put out the, the, the guidelines for, for hypertension. And, and I, I totally agree. I think these, I think this one is like struck, struck home because of just the, the, the amount of practice changes that's going to have to occur because of this. And, you know, it will give you guys a, like a, a kind of like a quick rundown of exactly like what the guidelines happen, what, um, you know, what's got us all in like a tiff in that, that regards. Right. So again, you know, if, if you, if you need like a refresher course on high blood pressure, please go to episode seven, you know, Dr. Pierre's blog.com forward slash LLP 007. I give a nice little rundown on high blood pressure uh, from the uh, schematic standpoint so you can kind of understand what it is in general. So this one's going to be a little bit more advanced. So we're going to kind of assume you know what high blood pressure is or you at least heard of it. And if you're, you know, listen to this podcast, the likelihood that you have not heard high blood pressure is low. Um, I'm assuming. And 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 and. and. And what you just said actually brought a big smile to my face because I was just thinking as you were saying, you know, patients, um, you know, you have heard of heard of um, high blood pressure and perhaps what is high blood pressure. And certainly they know that it means something elevated because we're saying high. So it's higher than what it should be. But the number in which they choose to base that definition on is changing and has changed so significantly and therein lies the confusion. So it definitely put a smile on my face when you said that. It's, and it, and it, 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 it's, it's maddening uh, when, when we talk about it. So like, we'll, we'll give you the old, we'll talk about what the, like the old guidelines were, what it meant to be, you know, a person with high blood pressure before and what it means now and just how drastic the changes has been. So you guys, every time you go to the doctor, you know, First thing you do before you actually see the doctor, the medical assistant is usually taking your blood pressure. That's something that I don't, I don't, I've never been to a doctor's office where they're not taking uh, your blood pressure. So when they get your numbers, you know, and, you know, it's a top number and it's a bottom number. Again, we don't have to be specific on what it is. Before, when you were, quote, unquote, normal blood pressure is when you had a number below 120 and below 80 for the bottom number. And when we start moving up that chain, right, when we start saying like, okay, you're no longer having normal blood pressure, now you're in the pre-hypertensive stage, pre-high blood pressure stage, that number was 120 to 139 for that top number. And if I was thinking about stage one, that number was 140 to 159. And the reason why this is important, because I want you guys to kind of follow along and, you know, me and Dr. Dugatug are really going to get into it, is... As an internist, like we're actually both internists. Like I said, I've been I've been following this brother for a while, right? So I, you know, he went internist, I went internist. 
what it right, tells us right. right when you're on a different stage lets us know what type of treatment it is so so that's why you know when we get to like like what they've done now is like kind of thrown like everyone especially in our world that deals with primary care and deals with high blood pressure kind of front and center like out the out the wazoo right um, so we got stage one, 140 to 159, that top number. And if you were above 160, if that number was above 160, you were, quote, stage two. And again, like the higher you go up in stages, the different treatment options we have for you, the different types of medications we're supposed to use. So when, when you hear that, when you hear facts like one in three adults have high blood pressure, right? About 75 million in the United States. Like well, Dr. Duke, did you did you did you realize the number was that high? I didn't I didn't realize the exact number, but certainly um, would have guessed it was several several millions. And just because the guidelines, the goalposts keep changing, and mm. they are going lower, each guideline just about, with the exception being um, the, the the last JNC eight guideline. So certainly the numbers of people who are consider hypertensive or having hypertension is increasing every time these guidelines are increasing. And it's increasing by orders of millions and millions of people overnight by putting out these guidelines. And, and overnight is correct. Like, so I saw, so the, again, I'm still talking about the old guidelines. Old guidelines, we had about 75 million, that's what an M, y'all, 75 million people diagnosed with high blood pressure. Unfortunately, even though I said 75 million were diagnosed, only 50% of them were actually being controlled. And I can tell you, I did, when I was doing outpatient medicine, that was one of the toughest things to be able to diagnose a disease, but not be able to actually take care of it. And in your office, like, do you, do you run into those same like types of situations where you like, you know what the person has, but like getting in control of what the person has is a, is a different ballgame. Yep. It, yep. Absolutely. All the time, we we have patients come in um, with, with 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 hypertension, and some of them can have extreme cases. And and we put them on medical therapy, and we cannot get to go. We have to go kind of do um, extreme measures to keep their blood pressure, mm. and and try to treat to those goals. But again, the goalposts are changing, and most of them, the trend is but they're getting lowered. So, you know, in retrospect, looking at those patients where we, if we thought getting those blood pressures um, to, to goals that we had in the past with the previous guidelines was difficult, you know, it's going to be extremely difficult now that the, the, the goalposts have, have dropped even lower. So, so, so we'll see how all this actually plays out in clinical medicine. And one of the things I want to highlight for the people listening is that a lot of times in these studies when you have um, um, these clinical studies where they're, they're monitoring patients that involve in research, the conditions in which those patients find themselves in is a lot different than what we experience out here in clinical medicine in the real world, um, each of us. So we have to take that into consideration um, when we're thinking about these guidelines and and how we're going to treat our patients. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad, I'm actually glad you touched on that um, because, you know, we were, we were, we were listening to a podcast 
um, that kind of talked about some of these blood pressure, these new blood pressure guidelines. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, I want to kind of give you the scenario of how they were measuring people's blood pressure. Just, just the, I want to give you the scenario that how they were measuring it. And then me and me and Dr. Dugas are going to talk about like how it's usually measured in the actual real world. In this, in these studies that they were looking for, that they were basing these guidelines off of, they had patients would go into a room, would be by themselves, they would stick their arm in a machine, an automated machine that took their blood pressure, and that's after they sat down quietly and relaxed for five minutes. Now, Dr. Dukatel, does that sound like a scenario that happens actually in the, I'm not going to say the real world, in our clinical like world that we've seen so far? Absolutely not. It's more like the patient arriving in your lobby, you know, they're, they're maybe 10 to 15 minutes late. It's nine o'clock in the morning. They have to be to work at 930. So they're really rushing and hoping they can get out. Of course, um, they ran into traffic along the way and probably had a cup of coffee. And so now they're waiting in your lobby. And finally, when you get them back, they're anxious because they see you and, and your lab coat and perhaps you're going through some labs or have some other things to discuss with them and you take their vitals and it's been five minutes. However, that five minutes have, has not been in the, um, the, the, the optimal stress-free conditions that we find a lot of times in the, in the clinical trials or the, or the studies that they do. And really because of the American lifestyle, it's very difficult for, for, for our patients and uh, us providers, us physicians, to duplicate those type of conditions because um, I will say it, real life um, um, is much different than what we find in clinical trials where they kind of control the atmosphere. Definitely. And, and I can tell you, when, when I was in outpatient medicine, patient would, just like Dr. Ducatel said, patient come in, they sit in the lobby, if you know if it's slow, we can get them back there pretty quickly. But remember, like in this study, that's actually a bad thing, right? Like they actually want you sitting there for five minutes, relaxed, right? I used to have a lot of patients. You know, they're worried about work, they're worried about school. You know, they just had a conversation on the phone. They was yelling at the husband. They were yelling at the wife. Now they're coming to do their blood pressure. And then, of course, my MA is the one giving the blood pressure. My MA is manually doing the blood pressure. Like these are like factors that actually happen in real life that they aren't accounting for, like in these studies. Yep, absolutely, absolutely, and 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 and, and we see it in our practices. Um, myself in clinical medicine every single day. So we we try our best to 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 get to um, create conditions we know will will put patients in the best position to give us the best, most accurate um, information regarding their blood pressure, but that is not always practical. And so we need to come up with better solutions to be able to get a more accurate picture picture as to what their blood pressure is really doing. Now, they have suggested for, for decades, you know, home blood pressure monitoring is something that I encourage my patients to do as well so that we can get a more accurate picture because the thinking is that um, patients in their own environments away from the, the medical atmosphere um, will probably get, we will probably get a, a more accurate picture 
as to what their blood pressure is. So in that in that in that effort to create a a better atmosphere to to get more accurate blood pressures, we're recommending home blood pressure monitoring. And that's that's nothing different. But but we will see as again these guidelines continue to change um, the goalposts as to what's hypertension, what's normal, what's not normal, what's elevated, what needs to be treated. We will see how these other recommendations regarding um, the conditions in which patients take their blood pressure affect um, the, 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 the outcomes. Agree. And, and, you know, let's, let's get into these recommendations now. I think we, we've teased them enough. So they want to kind of know like what's happening. Right. So I, I'm going to give a, I'm going to give a quick rundown of, you know, what it means to be a, a hypertensive, a high, and I, I don't like to say hypertensive because a lot of people don't know what hypertension is. I like to say high blood pressure. That's a little bit more layman's term for us. Um, what it means to be a high blood pressure patient. Before I told you, if your numbers were below 120 and below 80, you were fine. If you were below 140, you were called prehypertensive. And these new guidelines, and again, this is this is one thing that stuck out like almost immediately. We are no longer calling patients prehypertensive, right? Like you are there is no longer a stage for prehypertension. Right. The second your number hits 130, you are now a hypertensive patient. You are now a patient who has high blood pressure. And that's stage one. Before it used to be stage one if you hit 140 to 159. So now between 130, 139, you are now stage one hypertensive patient. Stage two hypertensive patient is now over 140. Dr. Ducatel, how many of your patients walk into your office over 140? Well, as in turn is, we see patients, you know, mo- that are mostly adults. So those patients 18 and older. And, and, and out, of the, out of that population, majority of patients that actually come into office on a routine basis, it's probably those patients are over the age of 40. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that population, of course, by those definitions, the overwhelmingly majority of patients that I see would have hypertension wow. or high blood pressure. Wow. And, 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 that, and that's where um, many of us are, are growing extremely concerned because, you know, of the, of the social, not only the medical impact that it has on, on our patients and us as physicians, but also the social impact, mm. the mental impact that it has um, on all of us. Now, that's just, you know, and I'm, I'm glad. I'm, re- I'm actually excited that you talked about that because I think a lot of times, especially in medicine, whether you're the, whether especially when you're the physician, you know, we we classify our patients. You have high blood pressure. You have high cholesterol. You have this, right? But we never actually think about the mental toll of telling a person like, hey. Now you have diabetes. Now you have high blood pressure. Like, can, can you kind of like expunge a little bit on what like um, the mental toll it may occur telling a patient now they have high blood pressure? I mean, think about it. You know, like I said, most of these patients are, are in their fourth decade, their fifth decade. They're over the age of 50, a lot of them. So they've been around for a while and they've see these, seen these guidelines and, and doctors' definition of what high blood pressure is changed throughout the years. 
you know, think back to the original, not the original, but the earlier kind of guidelines regarding hypertension. So like JNC4, where they classified a normal high, a normal pressure as less than 140, you know, and then they said, well, if you have blood pressure from 140 to 159, then that's borderline high, high blood pressure. And if you have blood pressure over 160, that's systolic high blood pressure or isolated systolic hypertension is what we called it. And actually that's when when we were going into medical school, we were still learning that, you know, isolated systolic hypertension as a diagnosis and that being 160. And that was JNC4. And then JNC5 um, comes along and they, 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 they take a more um, um, try to take a more primary uh, prevention standpoint. So let's try to um, capture those folks who may not have hypertension, but are at the same risk um, for cardiovascular disease. And so they came up with, you know, um, terms like high normal um, hypertension, which was classified as 130 to 139. Um, or, and, and then they added the stages, the three stages of hypertension. And this was um, um, the JNC, um, I believe it was five, um, that, that, that came up with those. So the goalposts have moved throughout the years, and now it's at a low point. And so that is going to create anxiety. That is going to create um, depression in some folks because Imagine those who have made it to goal. They've made it to goal based on the current guideline or the previous guidelines. And now based on the current guidelines, the new guidelines that came out, they're still hypertensive. Uh-huh. So, so imagine how those pa- patients are feeling. We just took away that feeling of success, that, that feeling of a good outcome when it comes to treating their high blood pressure. We just took it away, and we said, "Now the 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 bar is a little bit higher." Yep. So so talk about um, you know winning a football game only to be told that the game didn't count, you know, or, or whatever you. I, I love it. Choices, I love you know, it. So, you know, how how would that make you feel? And so I think we're putting our our patients in and and and. And, and positions where we're going to raise their blood pressure due to the anxiety, the yep. stress, the depression mm-hmm. that, they're, that they're getting because of this. I have never, um, in, my, in, my, in the years that I've been practicing um, medicine, seen patient so, patients so anxious as they are now since the, the release of these new, these new guidelines. And- I've never... I, I, seen it until and, and, and that's so true especially when you hit home where now where when i used to have my patients and i got them under that 140 and they were chilling in that 130 to 140 range and all of a sudden oh i need to increase your medication or i need you to do something different like they thought they did all that they were supposed to do and now that isn't enough anymore and yeah absolutely and i think that's what's that, I think that was so, like, concerning for me, like, because the second I saw that, and again, uh, Dr. Dugatel knows I am a conspiracy theorist when it comes to these medical research and these clinical trials. Um, I 
I unfortunately do not trust a lot of them. And I have to give, you know, uh, you know, a special shout out to uh, my public health background uh, from Nova Southeastern University uh, because of that. Um, you know, we, we, I went into public health. When I got the degree, one of the things it made me did was it made me question a lot of medical research. Like it really made me like look at it differently because like I was trying to find out like what is the the agenda behind all of a sudden and again I'll, these are some numbers people before when I remember I talked about how about seventy five million people have high blood pressure now overnight with these new guidelines that number has okay. ballooned to one hundred million and more one hundred yeah, exactly. What and that's a low ball estimate because when I say that 100 million people have high blood pressure, that's the ones we know about. So there's a lot of people who are walking around with high blood pressure, especially now. Oh my god, definitely now, who did not know they had high blood pressure before. And what's the scary part is, um, we're talking now about a lot of teenagers. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to be seeing a lot of teenagers are are, are walking around with hypertension, high high, uh, high blood pressure, because the goalposts and 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 you know it, it it doesn't take a lot to think about these things in 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 a critical way. What are we really trying to say to our patients and and our medical colleagues with these with guidelines that have an overall trend? Um, where the the cutoff points in terms of where we diagnose them gets lower and lower. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easier for us to diagnose them with certain conditions. What are we saying to the public? What are we saying to our, to our profession when we do that? And and what does it all mean? And I think those questions have not been answered in a real real way, and we cannot help but to think. What's the role of big corporate medicine, big pharmaceutical companies uh-huh. in shaping the opinions of, of, of the, the makers of the guidelines? We know that the American Heart Association, the ACC, while not maybe not on an organization level, but many of its members are closely aligned with the pharmaceutical companies oh, yes. or, or, or they participate in, 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 in these research studies. You know, we're all human, um, and, and, and we have to assume that there's some biasness there. But what you talk about agenda, what, what is the agenda of these folks who are setting these guidelines? And, and how, how, how are they measuring the outcomes based on these guidelines? Those questions have, have, have not yet been made really, really clear to the public. And I believe if we had answers to those questions, all of us will be able to decide really better for ourselves what we want to do with our patients and patients will be able to decide, you know, what risks they want to take in terms of um, treatment for hypertension or high blood pressure. And, and what I, and I'll play devil's advocate, right? I'll play devil's advocate. Cause I, you know, I, re- I read their comments too. I read the people who are for some reason in support of this. They say, well, Dr. Ducatel, we're not saying that you have to start treating people at 1.30. We're just saying that maybe that's when you can start recommending lifestyle management a little bit more aggressively. And if they're low risk, yeah. you don't necessarily have to treat. But if they are a high risk, then we think you should treat them. Like, well, what would you say to someone with that, with that argument? 
Well, well, the argument, and I understand that argument, um, it's all in the way we structure and frame things. Like I said, the previous guidelines, when you go back to high blood pressure guidelines, and we can probably go all the way, go, go all the way back to the original JNC1 or the first, <laughs> first version of it um, and see what those guidelines were. But certainly you can see if you look at the guidelines regarding high blood pressure, you can see the overall trend. You can you can see where where they where they have what defined what is high blood pressure. They've gone lower and lower and lower, and in certain guidelines they've labeled um, um, they've used terms like high normal. Um, they've used terms like prehypertension, mm-hmm. and those ter- those terms came about because they were they were trying to to do to do exactly what you suggested. They're trying to um, put out there that they're really interested in primary prevention, that they're trying to prevent patients from developing potential complications or, or, or in organ damage, organ damage due to elevated blood pressure. But why don't we just do that? Why don't we just sit with that? Why do we need a, a lower definition of what high yep. blood pressure is. Yep. Because psychologically, when you tell someone that they now have a disease and a illness versus you are at risk for a disease and an illness, you know, that, that, has, that, 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 that has a, that's a difference to people. Definitely. And Almost it, definitely. And it has, a, it has an impact, and, you know, uh, and so like, we really need to be I remember patients walking out my office, walking in with no diseases because maybe they haven't seen a doctor in a while. And all of a sudden I'm saying, all right, now you have high blood pressure and you have high cholesterol. Take this medication. Like mentally it does something to them. It, it does something to a person to have to wake up and take a pill that they may not. And, and I think this is, this is like I tend to call hypertension a silent killer. It, they may not feel a single effect from taking that medication, right? Like they, like they take their blood pressure medication. They don't feel no different. They take the high cholesterol. They may not feel any different. So now you're saying, Hey, I want you to take a pill that you're probably not going to notice any difference for like a long time. Like you're probably like, especially if you're continuously taking, you're never probably going to feel different whatsoever. You may feel bad. Like you may get some ill effects from the medication, but as far as me, you know, lowering your blood pressure, you may not even notice that the pill is even working. Yeah, absolutely. 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 And we, and, and we see that all the time. We and, see that all the time. And honestly, I, some, I feel like, again, I'm, you know, I'm a conspiracy theorist when it comes to these things. I think a lot of it is an overreaction to failed um, treatment in the past. I think uh, our our medical society did a, such a bad job as far as educating patients and stressing the importance of taking care of your blood pressure. And now that they're on this like kick to try to prevent, 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 because they realize how much money is costing them. Um, now that they're on this prevention kick, now they're trying to prevent everything. Right. Like, like, I mean, it, it's not going to, it wouldn't shock me if I turned around and all of a sudden they said for you to be a diabetic, your A1C now 
can now can be as low as six. Like it wouldn't shock me if I turned around and saw that. Right. And so we, and we, and we saw that with the cholesterol guidelines mm-hmm. as well, you know, that they're, that they're changing. In fact, you know, I think the last guidelines was really big on, on, on not getting to a specific number because there wasn't, um, not a sufficient amount of evidence to suggest that we should be treating to exact numbers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I'll, and I'll segue because me and Dr. Ducatel actually talked about like the cholesterol thing, probably like, uh, probably like six years ago, like five, six years ago, we were looking at like, what's the point of really chasing an LDL down to 100 or 70? Like what, what does that actually like do like in the grand scheme of things? <laughs> and, and you're absolutely right. And I remember being in medical school and, and going back and forth with the professor as to what would the future be in terms of how we look at um, um, lipids and things like that, high cholesterol. Um, because of that, because we were treating to these very specific numbers as if a certain number was going to um, um, guarantee to our patients that they would not have heart attack, stroke, and other mm-hmm. um um, complications that are associated with elevated cholesterol. So, and, and we found again, and then later years, years later, you know, they 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 come out with the evidence saying that there's not a there's not a, enough evidence to suggest that we should be treating to exact numbers. And hence, you know, the the the, the latest guidelines and recommendations on lipid therapy does not specify an exact number. Nope. So I, I think the same thing with blood pressure. Here's what I know we know. When we have those very ill patients that we take care of in a hospital, we're very concerned. Maybe we're taking care of them in the ICU. We're very concerned about their blood pressure mm-hmm. because we know if their blood pressure gets too low, they could die. That is a fact. The yep. fact of the matter is we need a certain level of blood pressure to live, to circulate blood throughout our bodies and every single person could have a a, a specific threshold specific to their bodies specific to the illnesses and diseases that they may already have now the guidelines the current guidelines that was just um, 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 released does talk about um, risk factors taking in consideration risk factors um, when it comes to hypertension or diagnosing hypertension or treating for it. That is nothing new when you look back at the JSC guidelines. That was, you know, kind of look kind of the suggestion that we should be taking a look at one's cardiovascular risk mm-hmm. when determining whether or not we're gonna start treatment. That approach is not new. But it's more more present in the current guideline. It's more flavorful. That's how I would describe it. <laughs> um, and so they're suggesting that we use the the, the recent um, cardiovascular um, atherosclerotic calculator that was was uh, suggested in the in the in the current um, cholesterol guidelines. They're suggesting that we use that type of calculator. To, to stratify patients based off of risk. And if they have, for example, more than um, 
risk in, in the next 10 years of major cardiovascular disease complications, then those are people that we definitely need to start on um, high blood pressure medicines. So taking that type of approach, but that's nothing new. And, and I, I think that's more fair than treating to um, exact numbers because the numbers are changing. And we have researchers that argue and will continue to argue what is the best number? The fact of the matter is this thing is on a continuum. And one circumstances, you know, if a patient's very ill, we may want their blood pressure to be very high. If a patient is, 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 is not in that particular medical circumstances where they're very ill, we may want their blood pressure to be lower. So I think we need to, to, to take a hard look at how we are diagnosing people with high blood pressure mm-hmm. and how we are deciding to treat them because it is having profound implications and um, effects on my patients, especially since the release of the new mm-hmm. um, high, high blood pressure guidelines. And, and for and for those who may want to know what are like the risk factors that they're kind of referring to, um, gender is one. So whether you're male or female, uh, race is another. And race is interesting because Dr. Ducate will tell you he has he has some a very interesting critiques uh, in regards to uh, medicine and race. And what I'll do is I'm going to link in the show notes uh, and an essay that he actually wrote on the website. Uh, for me about that. So very, very interesting critiques. And I, I, I highly suggest you read that post, um, especially whenever you hear certain medications are better for blacks versus whites versus this. When, whenever you hear stuff like that, um, Dr. Ducatel goes into great detail to kind of, you know, tell you why you should raise like a, you know, a, an eyebrow to that. Um, cholesterol level is another one. Your, your, the systolic blood pressure, which is that top number we've been talking about today, uh, whether you're a diabetic or not plays a factor in, in this calculation, uh, whether you're on blood pressure medications prior, you know, to like doing this calculator, whether you're a smoker and, you know, if you've been listening to the podcast, you know, that I'm still trying to figure out why people are still smoking. Like, I don't know. What more we got to tell you about cigarette smoking, about it being bad, right? Like, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know what more I have to say. If you're still smoking cigarettes, I mean, God bless, because, you know, that's all I can say. Um, and, whether you're on and a- I would just say, I would just say <laughs> one thing that's funny about smoking. <laughs> more, what, I've, what I've realized is if it's legal, people assume it's okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, and, and that's how, that. And that I want to be clear. That's not an argument to ban or make it illegal to smoke tobacco. <laughs> I'm just saying. When people say, "Hey, hey, doc, hey, Doctor Ducatel, it's legal. It must be okay. It must be. It must be all right." But if it was killing folks, they would outlaw it. Mm. If, so if, I get if, that. If they, I get, if they only. Honestly, I get that. <laughs> I tell, and, and the way I respond is, "Hey, food is legal, but if yeah. we eat too much of it, we know it could destroy our health. Mm-hmm. So, what do you want? Do you want good health? You know, that's it. Do you want good health? 
which is the most important asset that each of us has, that it, it gives us the ability to experience and enjoy everything, period, everything. And without it, we cannot do it. Yep. You're right. So Dr. Ducatel, you know, before, before we, you know, leave these great listeners uh, with, uh, again, can you give some recommendations? Cause you know, cause now that, you know, they hear that all of a sudden I may have high blood pressure. And if you're one of my listeners who for some reason has not checked your blood pressure recently, please go to Publix, CVS, Walmart, or whatever grocery store or pharmacy that happens to be where, wherever you're listening to and check your blood pressure. Like, I, like I, I'm almost shocked at the amount of people who don't check their blood pressure, but then I'm not, unfortunately. Well, you know, it's so much information out there in the age of the internet and 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 Dr. Google, as I call them, or mm-hmm. Dr. Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so much information out there uh, for patients, and so I think um, because we're bombarded with so much information, we just we just become used to it, and and it's not as urgent to do certain things as it probably would have been if we did not have access to all this, all this stuff, you know, that's out there. So, so I, I agree with those recommendations. Every adult should have an internist or, 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 or a personal physician that takes care of them and they should know what their blood pressure is so that if they have a blood pressure issue, they can get on top of it. And again, we know there's, controversy with the current guidelines for high blood pressure. And I just want to say, we're not the only ones that are concerned about these guidelines. Mm-hmm. Many of my colleagues and many of um, your colleagues, Dr. Barry, are concerned about these guidelines. And patients and our other colleagues can just read the comments that have been made. Now, you know, I don't want to make it seem like we're just bashing or just throwing out these recent guidelines. But I think it's fair to take a critical look at them to see how they're really affecting us and to look at the overall trend on how that's going to affect our patients. We never want to be in a situation where we think we're doing good and we're really doing harm. We used to give people mercury a hundred and something years ago. We were sure then that it was causing a benefit. You know, we used to classify people with certain illnesses just because they're slaves. They used, you know, the the, the black slaves, they had medical illnesses that um, dreptomania and all these things. And these were real things that they wrote about in the medical literature. And here we are over 100 years ago. I mean, 100 years now in the future. And we know all that stuff was foolishness. So we want to be able to change and correct ourselves as a profession uh, more quickly than we have been in the past. And that's why I think looking at these guidelines and others in a critical way, um, and instead of just accepting them, is true, is, is, is much needed. So Dr. Dukatel, you know, where can the listeners find you? Like, because obviously, you know, when we, when we bring guests on the show, and, you know, they give such great value like you've done tonight. Um, where can they find you to be able to say, like, you know what? I like what Dr. Dukel is talking about. I need, a, I need to go where this guy is at. Well, they can definitely find and like my um, 
my 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 company on um, Facebook. Um, I we started a healthcare company aimed at optimizing people's health. Um, we're just not interested in and and giving you a prescription, getting you out the door. We want to sit down with you and figure out, you know, what are your needs, what are your desires, what do you need done to get to your healthcare goals, you know. And so we are called um, the name of our practice. Sorry. Is Healthy Bodies Medical and Dental Center. We provide both medical and dental services. Mm. You can in, find in the, in the home. same building. Absolutely, the mouth and the body is related. You know, your oral health and your 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 physical health is related. That's so true. And so, we're able to take a a an approach that encompasses both to improve your overall health, have a beautiful smile, feel great, look great, and is healthy in the inside. It's healthy in the inside. And so that's what we do at Healthy Bodies. People can find us on Facebook, Healthy Bodies MDC. I, they can also tune into um, several video blogs and posts that I put out there um, mm-hmm. for patients to try to give them information about different healthcare matters. Um, like Dr. Pierre said earlier, I'm really interested in, in, in health and culture. And so that's my area of expertise in addition to um, public health and internal medicine. So I'm always willing to help patients can also, and, and the community can also reach out to me um, at, by email. They can email me if they have any questions at drwd at healthybodiesmdc.com. That's drwd at healthybodiesmdc.com. Um, and if you're in the Tampa area and you and you want to be seen, you need an um, internist. Um, you like someone to sit down with you, take their time, and get to know what you need and how you can improve your health. Then you can visit our office, um, Healthy Bodies Medical and Dental Center. I love it. And and ladies and gentlemen, I tell you, um, this this organization, Healthy Bodies Medical and Dental Center, it's it's such in the future in the way they're thinking and it's going to get to a point where if you're in the outpatient realm and you're not trying to practice the whole complete picture, you're going to be left behind. So if you're, if you're in the Tampa area, you're near the Tampa area and you need a physician, you need a dentist, like why wouldn't you want to go to the same as that building? You're not having to make separate appointments. You're not having to go across town. Like, and these are, you know, fine professionals. And I'm not saying it because, you know, I, I know them, love them and everything. Like these are like fine professionals. Like they're absolutely amazing. So please make sure you reach out and hit all of the links that he's mentioned. Even if you didn't write it down and you're, you're driving, you're in a shower, wherever you're listening to, um, I will put it in the show notes and we're going to make sure, you know, you, you follow along with Healthy Bodies Medical and Dental Center. And like I say, he does great. Uh, mm-hmm. One thing I want to add is our website because I left that out. Our website is www.healthybodiesmdc.com. And so people can also visit our website if they just want to get general information about us and what we do, what we're interested in mm-hmm. and our and, and, uh, center. I, love it. And, I want to say that- And all of this, again, will definitely be in the show notes. Like, again, we're, I'm going to make sure you find this guy. Like, it's, like it, it's absolutely amazing. It's a treasure. 
Uh, I'm gonna, like I said, I'm gonna put that essay uh, in in the show notes as well, so you can really see, like, especially for my organizations that may be listening, and you want a dynamic speaker who speaks about health and culture. Like, this is the guy right here. I appreciate that. And I just want to say, um, Dr. Barry, thank you so much for, for, for inviting me to participate on the podcast. I think what you're doing is definitely a service much needed out there in the community. It is rare that we get physicians to, to, to present the information with such honesty and, and, and um, from a patient's perspective a true advocate for patients. So I think that's very important. And definitely keep up, keep up the good work that you're doing here with the podcast and other things. All right. All right. So I appreciate that. So ladies and gentlemen, that's episode 48. Again, like always, if you want the show notes, head over to drpiersblog.com forward slash LLP 048. And I'm going to see you guys next week. Thank you, Dr. Ducatel. No, no problem. Hey, Dr. Bear here. You have just listened to another great episode of The Lunch and Learn with Dr. Bear. I hope you're excited and hope you learned something from today's episode. I hope you learned from all of the episodes uh, that you get a chance to listen to. Before you leave, if you not have already done so, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. I am everywhere where you like to listen to podcasts at, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, wherever you like listening to podcasts, the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry is there. Also, go ahead and follow me on my social media outlets. I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, as well as Twitter, all at Lunch Learn Pod, whether it be Twitter.com slash Lunch Learn Pod, Facebook.com slash Lunch Learn Pod, and Instagram.com slash Lunch Learn Pod, where you can, you know, get any videos, any pictures I may post, any messages or writing. So please follow me on there right after you go ahead and subscribe to the podcast and right before you leave me a five-star review on either Apple Podcasts or Stitcher Radio or wherever you can actually leave me a review. I'm much appreciative of all of you guys' support. And like I said earlier in the show, I will see you next week.